final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. You are listening to a previously recorded conversation. We are live once more on an exciting new episode of Starfleet Boy. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and I'm once again joined uh, by the doctor, the good doctor. Hello, doctor. Oh, hello. Greetings. How's it going today? Good. I'm setting up Jordy here. Oh, cool. Very good. Very proper. Hello, Jordy. So today's episode is Q Who. A very important episode in uh, the Star Trek The Next Generation episode importance list, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Indeed. Uh, do you want to do the summary for this one, or should I? No, you may. Uh, <laughs> one of these days you'll do the summary. I've done no, but, summaries. No, no, I know. You do a great job. That's why I always ask you to uh, do them. So this is the episode where uh, the Q returns. Uh, this is his third appearance, if I'm not mistaken. And this time he's been politely asked, or maybe not so politely asked by the Q continuum, to leave the continuum. So he um, he presents himself to Captain Picard by essentially kidnapping him and... Uh, uh, offers that he become a member of the crew. The uh, crew kind of laugh at this. Also, the Q meets Guinan, and there's an interesting scene that we can talk more about where Guinan seems to know him, and they do these like kind of weird symbols at each other, uh, which was very interesting. Um, <clears throat> anyways, the uh, crew kind of laugh at him, so Q gets upset and... Uh, then he catapults the Enterprise 7,000 years, uh, light years, sorry, into uh, their mission. So ahead, rather, I should say. Anyways, uh, there they encounter an alien vessel unlike they've ever seen before, a gigantic uh, kind of cube. And um, they're boarded by these uh, uh, somewhat mechanical uh, cyborg, cybernetic uh, uh, beings, uh, one in particular who just kind of surveys the ship, and then he tries to take it over, and um, so they don't allow it. They shoot him, and then another board comes, takes him over. They have a meeting about it. Guinan advises everyone to get the heck out of there. <laughs> yes, they have love to have meetings, right? <laughs> Guinan's <laughs> like, get the F out of there, and they don't listen. They decide to board the Borg ship and survey it a little bit further. Um, that's when we see our first uh, glimpse at Borg babies and um, other interesting things about the Borg ship. Anyways, the Borg they find out that the Borg ship is not crippled as they thought. Oh, I forgot that they the Borg ship tried to tractor beam the Enterprise and cut a piece out of it. Oh, subspace communications. Thank you. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, when they realize the ship is uh, essentially healing itself, they get out of Dodge but are pursued by the Borg ship, and unfortunately it's going to overtake them. Uh, clearly it's superior, and that's when Q comes back and sort of he's like, well, what do you guys want to do now? And Picard flat out says, I need you. Get me the F out of here. And so the Q catapults them back 7,000 light years to where they once were. And um, Guinan and Captain Picard play chess and discuss the possibility of a Borg return. That's the summary. <laughs> yes, that is the summary. 
Um, I have to say that this was a creepy, creepy episode when I first saw it. I remember being like pretty um, freaked out by the Borg and and I remember there was a lot of tension and uh, I, I kind of feel like I went through some, obviously I knew what was happening this time, but I kind of felt like I was going through the same uh, kind of thing again. It was It was really good. What did you think? I love it. I love this episode. <laughs> I think it's one of the best Q episodes, although Q's not really in it all that much, it's kind of in the bookends and sprinkled throughout. Um, well, he always kind of magically appears to whisper. Um, right, right. Whisper sweet some things into your ear. Yeah, but um, right, right from the get-go, the episode I thought was excellent, including um, introducing... Uh, I mean, I don't know if she... I don't know if, if that, that engineering crewman returns. Oh, Sonia. Sonia. Um, Sonia is... A- this is Sonia's first episode. She's definitely in the next one, uh, The Samaritan Snare. And okay. I don't remember. I don't remember much after that. I'm not sure if she continues on. I thought it was she cool, be- her little repartee with, with, with Jordy here. And, and Jordy just sort of takes her under his wing real fast and it's like calm down you know just don't worry and she spills uh hot chocolate over picard and and it's a bit of comedy to sort of lighten the mood because the rest of the episode is is very much not in the opposite direction of comedy it's very tense and uh and as you said frightening in in some some cases (laughs) There's some humor in the beginning, uh, for sure, and yeah. I think I think Sonia is kind of like a less neurotic uh, Lieutenant Barkley. Yeah, who, I like her more than kind Barkley. Of, yeah, I well, I like I like Barkley a lot. He's I mean, it's Murdoch. From, I know. <laughs> I like it's Murdoch. Murdoch. I, I like yeah, Murdoch I more than I do Barkley. But no, I love Bar- Barkley's. Uh, Barkley's my man. That's who I would be. On board the Enterprise, I would totally be Lieutenant Barkley. <laughs> Broccoli. Um, Broccoli. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to Lieutenant Barkley. Um, no, but Sonia, Sonia is an interesting character. I, I sensed, and I don't know if you felt this, but I definitely felt like there was some setup of uh, uh, romantic interest between Jordy and her. Yeah, me too. Okay, okay. that's why I was kind of shocked because I'm. I don't remember this at all. I don't remember her past no. past this episode, so maybe she doesn't really last. I don't remember Jordy, yeah, you know, not being very awkward and uncomfortable with with the ladies. Like he seemed very cool and suave with her, so that was cool. But, but now, I mean, well, because I think because she's the awkward, uncomfortable one mm-hmm. uh, in the situation. But as we know, Jordy has a penchant for. Uh, Dr. Leah, <laughs> well, uh, holographic. Mm-hmm. Barkley's not the only one because <laughs> later on we have the whole Leah Brahms thing right. happen, and that's going to be interesting. Uh, and then I think, uh, just to touch on that, I think Leah Brahms plays a long term uh, role in Jordy's life, if I'm not mistaken, the actual Leah Brahms. Um, but we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> now, is that we the cue? That is the cue. In his Starfleet uniform. And um, I thought he was excellent in this episode. I loved how he greeted Worf as microbrain. That's right. a call. F- all the- yeah, shout out from the last time he was there. I liked his. I like every. I like any time the Q has been on Star Trek. I can't think of one time where I was really just disappointed or annoyed. Uh, John Delancey is a phenomenal actor. Uh, actor and he really holds his own against Patrick Stewart, you know, because Patrick Stewart's pretty impressive as well. I do have a question when they appear in 10 forward, you have these uh Donald Trump sniffles. You're doing the No, I'm yeah, just kidding. I'm, I'm totally, going to totally sneeze <laughs> anytime now. <laughs> you can sneeze. And I'm just kidding. I apologize for that reference. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I'll mute the microphone when it happens. No, you're good. You're good cuz then you might not unmute it. I can work you know, Starfleet Boy, we're casual and informal. There's no, uh, there's no protocol for this kind of thing. It's fine. <laughs> so you were saying but, uh, about the queue. 
Yeah, and um, and the character also uh, holds his own against every single uh, member of the crew. I do have a question. When they appear in 10 Forward, Guinan, it, it, at first 10 Forward looks empty, and then Guinan appears from under the bar? Is that where she lives? Is that where she hangs out? Like, no. what was that all about? She was... Awesome. Uh, she was she, remember, she sensed... Uh, the Q's But I'm presence. talking about in that in that scene, Picard and, and Q appear right. at Ten Forward. Right. It's empty. It's when, empty. First of all, it wasn't empty uh, a little while ago. It was filled with people. Like yeah, not but 10 I, I think I think once the captain went missing, they've gone to some sort of oh, yellow I, alert. Good so job. of course you're not okay, hanging so out in Ten Forward during yellow alert. But then but then this the scene is shot like as if okay, so you have you have the bar, right? Right. And then and then Gunnan comes out from under it yes. and appears suddenly. And what's the deal with that? Like why she was saw she them appear. So she hid under the bar so that Q wouldn't oh, see her. Oh gotcha. Then, okay. And then when they <laughs> look in her direction, she's like, it's me. <laughs> And she's going to do, the, she does do a little that. hand thing here. Hold on. Ta -da. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll accept that. It was uh, yeah. it was a little awkward, but I think uh, I think you've uh, helped me make sense of that scene. Anyway, she does her little defense uh, defense against the dark arts kind of magical finger things and Q does, does Gaiden have powers? I wonder. Well, first of all, Q claims to have not seen her in 200 years. Yeah. So we do know her species, the Elorians, which we don't find out till the movies, um, is uh, long, long lived. And uh, we do find out in this episode that they were attacked by the Borg. And this episode, I guess, is the genesis for uh, a lot of the concepts that we'll have. <laughs> what are you doing? They're fighting. See, they have their hands up. They look like they're doing a, a dance or like capoeira or something like that. All right. <laughs> Any, anyways, uh, you know, we meet other Elorians and it's pretty integral in the uh, story and plot of Star Trek Generations. He calls her an imp. Well, yeah, he. I, so she must have some kind of... Uh, there must be something going on either having to do with um, special powers or maybe just her species is somehow immune to the Q's abilities or perhaps um, perhaps something about the Nexus makes her an anomaly or, or odd. You know, like she, she lives in both the Nexus and, as we know, she's both in the Nexus and out of the Nexus. So Right, um, as she maybe, is right now. because I mean, at the time of the episode, because obviously... Right, because we know that events, yeah, all of right. it took place in Enterprise B era. So... Um, so... Let's just... Let, let me just cut to the chase. Is Guinan a Time Lord? I would say... Uh, do you think the Elorians... Do you think she was just pretending to be an Elorian? That she's actually a Time Lord? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. What's that? Is that Tom Baker? Yes, it is. Nice. The fourth Doctor makes an appearance. She could be a Time Lord. Time Lady. You think the Elorians El El are another, another name for Time Lords? They could be. You'd never know. I mean, all uh, I, we have to find out if the only definitive proof would be to find out what system uh, Eloria is in. However, I don't think the Elorians are the Time Lords because they were, in fact, um, uh, defeated by the Borg. And, and we know that the Doctor would never allow the Borg or the Cybermen to uh, <laughs> defeat well, the... Well, uh, is Star Trek another iteration? <laughs> is, is it a, a parallel dimension to Doctor Who's universe and and the Borg or the Daleks of this universe? And I don't know. I think there's... Now, I we're, think just, that, now we're just getting very fan Now we're just getting a, yes. a, little, yeah, a little ridiculous here. But I think uh, if I... If I had to have it my way as a fan, I would say that there's room enough in the... Uh, galaxy for the Cybermen and the Daleks and that Star Trek takes place during a relatively um, low activity point for the Daleks and the Cybermen 
And so that's why we never encounter them. What we are, what kind of fills the void in this period are the Borg and, you know, so on and so forth. So, or maybe, you know, the Star Trek era is like a kind of an off limits time. It's in a time lock of its own, you know, like, uh, time Lords don't mess with this era because they're like, it's a very important uh, part of the great and bountiful human empire. Uh, <laughs> no, it would have to be different. I, I don't think the timelines uh, of things that are presented in Doctor Who, uh, as far as Earth's future, line up with, um, with Star Trek. So they're definitely not in the same universe. But hey, Doctor Who... You know, in Doctor Who, you can go to parallel universes, different universes. So maybe Star Trek takes place in Pete's universe, <laughs> Pete's world. <laughs> um, I, I I really thought Guinan. I mean, th- this was the episode that really just sold Guinan on me. Like, like wow, this she is a cool character. Uh, we really hadn't seen much of her since I think it was only you know here and there, talking to Wesley uh, and, and in the first episode of the season, um, I can't think of of any other appearances by her, right? Uh, so far? She, she's she been in a few. Um, but just in and out. But this is the first her, episode yeah. to really establish her as a character and um, you know, we see that Picard respects and listens to her greatly. And including, as a matter of fact, she has her own little office where she has her a view screen where she can follow view along and yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I in the scene cool. you referred, yeah, in the scene you referred to earlier, where uh, Q is insulting her and calling her an imp and a troublemaker and all these things. I mean, Picard's quick to point out, uh, Q, you're you're actually describing yourself, right? And um, you know, so obviously, yeah, he does have a lot of reverence and respect for her, but we don't know why yet, no. um, which we will find out uh, very soon. <laughs> but, ooh, you're such a... TARDIS is... The TARDIS oh, phone keeps it's, ringing. It's um, uh, hold on a oh, minute. Oh, you got to let her know. <laughs> okay, so while the doctor goes on to uh, talk to uh, his hey, lady hey. companion... Uh, <laughs> I'll take this moment to remind everyone that you can go and uh, subscribe to our videos at youtube.com. Just search for Starfleet Boy. You can go to starfleetboy.com to check out uh, our webpage. And you can also go to iTunes and search for Starfleet Boy. And that's where you'll find our podcast. I was just get, taking that moment to. Uh, let everyone know what are our, all of our social media things. Oh, and then there's Twitter, Starfleet Boy, and Instagram, Starfleet Boy, and Tumblr, Starfleet Boy. So uh, back to Q. Um, he was uh, he reacquired some of his menace in this episode. He did, and so it's an interesting thing. He wants to be a part of the crew. He's bored or whatever, and he even volunteers to uh not use his powers yeah that was that was i didn't buy that well later we saw through that of course he did but later we have you know future q episode where he actually comes back Mm -hmm. to us without his powers and it's an interesting episode as well but um what did you think of the borg then and now the borg then um Try to recall when you first saw this episode. Oh, I immediately loved them because they reminded me of uh, the Cybermen. So I thought they were super cool. Um, I I never dreamed that they would become the lead villains of Star Trek. The next... Next Generation. I missed uh, the, the mention about... The, they that the um, the planet that data scans at one point he says that the oh similar to the incident at the Romulan neutral zone which was the season closer and you had mentioned I think you mentioned when we were having that episode discussion that the Borg were supposed to be introduced in that episode originally um, if I'm not mistaken right and but uh, when I originally saw it I, I I didn't make that I know I made. 
I realized that connection later on on repeat viewings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the line is there, and they make an explicit connection to, um, excuse me, to the Borg being having already. I mean, the Borg essentially already encroached on uh, on Federation space. Well, it's so what happened there? Seven thousand light years. That's two years. Um, of travel time, right? Mm-hmm. And Q, Q's contention is like, oh, this is what's waiting for you out here. So was the um, so the neutral zone incident? Let's talk about that for a moment. What exactly was happening there? Were the Borg attacking these outposts, and the Romulans defeated them? Because we have no mention of the cube or sightings of what actually was doing it. Um, so was there like a Romulan skirmish? Did yes, the Romulans, the Romulans mentioned. Mm-hmm. Remember, the Romulans mentioned that they had the same uh, events happen on their side, and that's why they've come out of uh, you know sleep, let's say uh, dormancy, to uh, to approach the Federation along the neutral zone because they've seen these attacks on their border and. Likewise, the Federation. So the Borg in, uh, has essentially rekindled, you know, uh, Romulan Federation uh, hostilities. hostilities. Um, Cold in War a way, like hostilities, yeah. But what I'm wondering is, from a Borg perspective, like, they must have sent out a, a long-range scout ship. Did it get destroyed before it could communicate with the Borg? You know, and and we have another incidence of that, don't we? Have Borg that are frozen in the ice caps on Enterprise, like so. It, it's just it becomes very timey wimey in that sense, because yeah, you do have Borg on the Earth already, which were awakened in Enterprise, and they found their way there because of the events of First Contact. Right. Okay. So it is very uh, to. Uh, borrow a phrase from Doctor Who, very timey-wimey, uh, the uh, contact between the Borg and, and the Federation. Oh, look at you there with your multiple Borg. Oh, yeah. You're, mm-hmm. You have oh, a little Borg, Borg. collective. Oh, yeah. Do you have a Borg collective going on yes, over there? Yes, <laughs> I have a whole Borg collective, and I do. <laughs> do, I do. Yes. Um, we all know, well, not we all, but you know what my favorite Borg episode's going to be. Oh, that's coming up, <laughs> yes. I, I assume you're talking about the best of both worlds. Well, you know, there's another one that I really love. <laughs> I'm only acknowledging the best of both worlds. Oh, you mean the best of both worlds part two, of course, yes. But uh, um, th- this is an excellent introduction to the Borg. I thought, you know, when they come aboard the Enterprise and... They just sort of ignore everything, and you know it's it's uh, it's creepy, it's unsettling, and then when they find the babies, oh, very creepy. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. Um, the one scene um, where um, you know Data says, like, you know, we didn't register any life forms aboard. Well, they're kind of zombies, right? <laughs> like the right. the actual like. Um, the actual biological parts are just in service of the mechanical parts. They're not really the person that once inhabited that body is not real. Uh, in this episode, the implication was that they they birth babies and also create crew members this way. But their fastest way of creating uh, Borg is to actually assimilate um, whole populations of, of uh, beings. And there's a great novel that uh, I think everyone should read called Vendetta, which uh, goes into detail about um, about the uh, Borg and the and their ways and, uh, uh, you know, shed some light on some of the the Borg stories uh, that we all wondered about. Anyways, when I first saw the Borg in this episode, uh, then uh, the first time I remember, you know, all those kinds of like, ooh, interesting, creepy, weird. But I never I didn't know if these were a one off if these were one off or if they were going to come back again, even though there's that blatant foreshadowing at the end of the episode with Guinan and, and Picard talking about, um, you know, the, the fact that they are aware of 
the Federation now and they're aware of humans and so they're probably going to be back. <laughs> but you know what? We see, I, I didn't believe it because um, in the episode with the, the little worm creatures that go inside you uh, conspir- the, from the episode Conspiracy, we never saw them again. So I was sort of like, oh, they're setting it up, but they're not really going to follow up on it. Yeah, which is like something you kind of get from because uh, it's the same ending. TV show. It's yeah, like it's, it's a they're out ending, there yeah. and they're coming. Well, we never saw the worm creatures, and now we see the Borg, and they're more like little crabs, right? Or little oh like, crabs. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they are. They're like kind of the little just thing creepy. that sticks out is like a little worm. So I think of them as probably related to the creatures on SETI Alpha. SETI Alpha 6. six or 5. This is, or yeah, this is SETI Alpha 5. Um, <laughs> so other than that, there's no real, there's no real B plot. I mean, which is in great. This episode. <laughs> which is great. I love that. It's the whole focus of the episode is the Borg. Um, I liked uh, the pacing of it. Um, I'd forgotten the scene where the Borg carve out, uh, looks like three levels out of the saucer section. Yeah, and start to pull it out with the tractor beam. What yep. was that about? They've never done that again. I thought that was, biz- I guess, were they, they sampling the ship? Yeah, they used the cutter beam again later. But Do they? um Yeah, I think, I as a matter of fact, I think it might be at Wolf 359. But, um... But yeah, it's fascinating. They actually like sliced out a, yeah, a just, cr- like a little section, and they're just gonna pull it out and examine it. Yeah, I would imagine that the Borg. Um, uh, I think Guinan says in that one scene, they, they see you. It's similar to the Vidra thing. They see you more as like an infestation. They're more interested in the Enterprise and what technology the Enterprise can yield uh, to enhance their their own technology. Um, what do you think about all this? There's there's uh there's various fan theories that connect V'ger to the Borg. What do you think? There's actually a book that directly references the Borg as having been the an earlier form of the Borg, having been the race that uh, engineers V'ger. This is in the book Probe. If if that's the case, I I just think it's kind of sad what happened to them. Uh, because the the beings that that kind of um, helped V'ger turn into what V'ger became seemed like just so much more um, benevolent, be- benevolent and perhaps enlightened. Although the argument could be made that that's not the case because V'ger had tremendous power at its disposal, and it could actually have. What it, at the end, it was threatening the planet with with these like energy bombs or whatever that had circled the entire um, planet, and was he was ready to de- destroy Earth to get to the creator. You know, Vija was ready to destroy it to get to the creator. So I don't know. Maybe maybe there is some credence to it, but there are some interesting uh, references in Star Trek One. I mean, the um, the planet that Vija comes from was Spock describes as a, a planet of, of living machines. Um, so yeah, who knows? Like maybe uh, it, it, it's an interesting story. I don't really like it cause I don't want V'ger to be obviously um, like the Borg, but it's, it's an interesting, it's a good one. It's a good theory. What do you think? Um, well, all I can say is, is I really loved the novel Probe, uh, and it was sort of a throwaway line in um, in the novel. And I I can't remember. McCoy has some really hilarious reaction to it, which I can't recall right now. Uh, but uh, I know that's the novel that pretty much makes makes that connection. And and I I think they do say something to the effect of you know it's an early um, you know, it's an early ver- an earlier version of the Borg. So, you know, the idea that perhaps the Borg 
again, make uh, like the Cybermen, you know, started off with good intentions, but their their plan became very much perverted and to uh, a more uh, devious end in the sense of, you know, these guys are just all about assimilating the whole the whole universe. Of course, to them, they think it's a good thing. You know, the Borg don't see themselves as being evil necessarily. They, they, they think the assimilation of species into the collective is meant to improve their lives. Am I not correct? That's true. You're ap- actually you're correct. They're quite that way. It's not until um, it's really not until uh, first contact when we get the board queen that we get some kind of like malevolence j- that's like more human. You know what I mean? Like until then, it's a very alien kind of uh, malevolence. One that's more. Um, I think it's more cold. What do you think? Well, it's that's why I love them because I think they're they're definitely uh, they're they're cousins to the Cybermen. You know, the the Cybermen when you listen to them and they offer you you know cyber conversion, they're saying, well, you know, you're freeing yourself of these emotions and emotions make you do things that you know oftentimes you know cause war and 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 destruction we're freeing you from the tyranny of emotions uh and the same thing with the borg the borg are offering unity you know uh so so there's an argument to be made so you know that's the perspective oh oh here we go um so there's an argument to be made that the borg to some people may seem like something that is welcome, and and actually, I'm I'm surprised Star Trek hasn't hasn't yet um, taken advantage of of that angle. I'd be curious to to see a story where people actually embrace the board rather than. I I feel like First Contact did come close to that because um, uh, the board queen's arguments with Data are pretty compelling. Uh, and she does go over some of the things that you mm-hmm, talked about, yeah. and and you know, and I think that was like um, that was kind of like the Borg's uh, mo presented, and it's not far off from from what you just uh, what you described right now. So that shot you just showed of the Enterprise and the Borg cube, uh, what do you think of the design of the Borg ship? I. I remember it being really uh, just uh, my first impression was that it's really cool because I uh, up until then, I hadn't really thought that a ship could be like a basic shape, like a cube or a sphere. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe a sphere I thought of, but a cube certainly was not something that I thought of, but it's perfectly reasonable in outer space. You don't need uh, that. And, And then you realize it's an entire like it's basically a city's worth of people inside, you know, Borg inside the ship. The other thing that was neat is we already know how big the Enterprise D is. And then to see it dwarfed by the Borg ship was pretty cool. Yeah. I remember really enjoying the, uh, the concept of a ship that can heal itself. And then it just like, you know, again, it, it, it like raised the level of anxiety and danger because I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this technology that they have is so much more superior than to what, uh, you know, the enterprise has right now. And like, you know, when they were running, I was like really kind of tense. Like I thought there were, there was going to be, uh, you know, more of a showdown or, or something like that. So Worf looked very happy to be firing his photon torpedoes. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> Finally. Um, I thought it was uh, there was a moment in uh, 10 forward uh, during the confrontation between the Q and Picard and and Guinan when Worf and um, Riker enter. And at one point, Worf is like getting increasingly uh, angry and kind of steps toward the Q and Picard just kind of like he's like he doesn't mean Mr. Wolf. And then Worf kind of goes and then walks outside and and stands guard. I thought that was funny that they have to kind of ask him to leave the room because he can't. Uh, <laughs> he's just going to punch Q out. Yeah. He's going to punch Q out. <laughs> have you seen the 
there's a meme online where they you know they list you know Picard what he his interactions with Q and then Cisco punches Q in the face and Q never bothers him again that's so funny <laughs> it's like Picard just like indulges him and talks to him and and you know hangs out with him and Cisco just punches him he right just, in the face he's like sorry I don't have time for your crap <laughs> what about um so as far as I can remember the the Borg don't ever appear on DS9 is that correct? Um no and their first novel of Deep Space 9 written by the great Peter David who I believe wrote Vendetta did he not? Mhm. He's pretty much can we say he's the premier Star Trek novelist of our time? Uh, I think we can say that. I think we can really say that. Um, he very clearly explains why. I don't remember the explanation, but he clearly lays out why the Borg never visit Deep Space Nine. Huh. There's a reason but why. But they, but they do feature quite prominently in um, Voyager. And now again, my I'm looking forward to my rewatch of Voyager because the first time around is that I the animated not, series. What is that? No, Voyager, you know. <laughs> I, don't know what you, I don't know what it is you speak of. And and we even have a Borg uh, crew member, a converted or, oh, yeah. or reformed. I have her here somewhere. Se- seven of nine. Seven yeah, of nine, so yeah. The, the Borg and Voyager, I think, uh, the Borg really get fleshed out in Voyager. So I'm looking, f- I'm kind of looking forward to that when we rewatch or when I rewatch Voyager, because I'm not sure you'll come along the, the ride for the ride. No. Not at all. <laughs> um, are you getting seven of nine? Uh, you want me to? No, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What else can we say about this phenomenal episode? I mean, I I love the the tension. I love the. You know, the the characters all had, you know, the little parts to play. Uh, Picard's interactions with uh, Q were great, especially at the end, when finally, you know, you realize there's really no way out of this. I mean, the the Borg are essentially going to over, they're, you know, they're going to overcome the Enterprise. And, you know, I mean, at the time, we didn't imagine what they would do to it. We'll see it later in first contact, what they can do with the ship. But uh, uh, you know they're facing death in the face, right? And looking it straight in the eye. And, and Picard is like, uh, he gives Q what he wants. And interestingly enough, Q admits that you know a lesser man wouldn't have done that. You know, a lesser man would have died before he'd asked for help. And, and Q gives him, you know, an acknowledgement of that. And and I really like the line where Picard goes, you know, I, I see what you were trying to do here, but we didn't need to learn the lesson at the at the cost of 18 lives. Yeah. And then Q shoots back right away. You know, if you can't stand a bloody nose, then what the hell are you doing out here? And interesting that Q looks at his at, looks at the loss of 18 lives as a bloody nose. Right. But he's tr- it's true because had they. Had they, let's just say they had encountered the Borg on their own without Hugh's intervention, uh, the Enterprise surely would have fallen at that point. Yeah, that's true. That's a very, very good point. I did think that, especially in light of what we will see the Borg do uh, in later episodes and even the movie, I'm, I'm quite surprised that Guinan's reaction is so muted. Uh, I mean, she does tell them, get out, but... She's very passive about it. She's not. She's much more animated about Q being there than she is the Borg having, you know, being right outside. The she was, yeah. She was really calm about it, and in the conference room, very nonchalant. Scene, very, she was nonchalant, and she even smiled at one point uh, when she's like, "Yeah, they're gonna just destroy all." <laughs> she's just like, yeah. She's just like, <laughs> it's true. It is a little strange. I mean, well. Uh, well, it's funny because in that same novel, Vendetta Guinan obviously plays a, a role in in that. Book what is the plot? That. Could you explain the plot of Vendetta? Basically, do you remember that Star Trek: The Original Series episode, uh, the Doomsday Machine? Yeah, explain the plot while I blow my nose. 
Okay. Uh, the dooms. <laughs> the doomsday machine uh, was created by a race. Uh, whoa. Oh yeah. Poor doctor. I I started trying to explain this the plot, but your uh, your nose blowing was like a little concerning. <laughs> Uh, no, just kidding. Anyways, the uh, Doomsday Machine from the original series was created by a race uh, known as the Preservers, and they created these Doomsday Machines actually to fight the Borg. Um, and so there's another one, apparently, that's headed toward Earth, if I'm not mistaken, in the novel. It's been a, quite a few years since I read it. And uh, there's this... Uh, a, a character that has some kind of mental link with it or something like that. And uh, her, name is Re- oh, no, no. her name is Rionan Bonaventure. And she might be the same species as Guinan. If I'm not ma- mistaken, she might be an Elorian, but I can't really, um, I can't really remember. Let's, let's, uh, let's read the official plot summary for Star Trek Vendetta, shall we? And that will give us, uh, <laughs> That'll give us all we need to know. Let's see if you can, you can buy it here. So this should give me a little... Okay. The Borg, half organic being and half machine. They are the most feared race in the known galaxy. In their relentless quest for technological perfection, they have destroyed entire star systems, enslaved countless peoples, and in a single brutal attack, decimated Starfleet's mightiest vessels. Only a final desperate gambit by Captain Picard and the USS Enterprise crew stopped the Borg from conquering the entire Federation and now they have returned in the best selling tradition of metamorphosis in the lost years here's the newest Star Trek novel well it's not new anymore answering a distress call from a planet under attack by the Borg the USS Enterprise crew meets Dalkara the lone survival of an alien race, the Borg obliterated. Blinded by hatred, Delcara seeks the ultimate revenge, the complete destruction of her race's executioners. But the USS Enterprise crew learns that Delcara's vengeance carries a terrible price. For once unleashed, the destructive force she commands will annihilate not only the Borg, but countless innocents as well. So yeah, she goes to the edge of the galaxy and finds one of these planet killer machines that the preservers created, I remember now, and she's on her way, I guess, to the Borg homeworld or somewhere. So they do you see the Borg homeworld? In the I don't year? remember. I can't remember, but I do remember the Planet Killer Machine. I remember references to V'ger now that I'm thinking oh, about it. Okay. In the novel, and it might have been more that the V. So the preservers were these, like you know, kind of like. It's hinted that they might also be the same beings that seeded the galaxy with humanoid life forms, like in that one episode of The Next Generation where they're on this pursuit for genetic, you know, that genetic mystery episode where the Romulans, the Cardassians, and the Federation all discover that they're uh, they're basically descended from these, like, preservers or whatever. But yeah, I'd love to reread Vendetta now. Um, what it's funny the cover for Vendetta I'm gonna um pull it up for you. It says the giant novel on it. I don't <laughs> it I, was a giant novel. I remember <laughs> that. It was it was uh it was huge. <laughs> it was it was but in hardcover, right? I think it was the first uh next generation novel in hardcover, was it not? Oh, it might have been, but I didn't read the uh I didn't read the hardcover No, neither um, did I version. I definitely read it on Did I read paperback. yours? You Did you have, lend yeah. me yours, and then that's how I read it? It's quite possible because I was really uh, a big fan of that novel, and I was definitely telling you to read it. And you're not a huge fan of the novels. I try to stay away from the expanded universes of both Star Trek <laughs> right. and Star Wars just because it's such a commitment. Uh, it has nothing to do with... Um, with the quality of the work or the val- the validity or or even at one point I did I did make a statement that nothing but the TV series and the movies are canon but I'm willing to accept you know Vendetta as canonical uh and and you know it fits right in in really well and I'm sure there's a lot of uh you know Star Trek novels that that also would fit that description um but yeah I just 
to me, it's just it's a commitment thing. <laughs> it just feels like. But I uh, I read a couple of, uh, for example, I read Gambit. I think I read that one. Mm. It's an original series one. I've read a lot of um, graphic novels and comic books. For me, I can I feel like I can uh, digest those a little a little easier. Um, and they don't require too much of a time commitment, so that's that's where I stand. Well, on folks, that. let let me just say that for Starfleet Boy to recommend a novel, a Star Trek novel, <laughs> it's indeed high praise. <laughs> so yeah, definitely read Star Trek Vendetta. Um, but I actually rely on you for because you've read a lot of the books, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I I enjoy them, especially the Peter David ones. But yeah, I've. I've I used to, well. I used to review them on the on the melt shop, on the milk on, on shop. Good time, time ago. good time for a plug. Yeah. Uh, speaking of plugging, we need to plug that in. We'll talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she was working on it yesterday. She has formatted Woo! your story. Oh, wonderful! She formatted wonderful. it yesterday. Uh, Our editor in chief. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Back to the episode. Um, let me read now from our favorite. Uh, Oh, the companion. Very good. The Bible here at uh, at our show here. We should look up if Larry Nemesek is still alive. I, w- I would love to have this guy on the show. We quote, read. I'll look up. We we quote from his book all the time. I think it's Nemesek. Nemesek. Uh, okay. Yeah, the Borg were originally envisioned as a season-opening threat, um, but it was delayed, long delayed. Uh, the new cybernetic race was meant to provide the hardcore danger for, that the Ferengi couldn't deliver. If somebody is interested in gold, they're not much of an adversary, Hurley said. That would be uh, Maurice Hurley. Hurley said of the greedy little race, we can make gold in our replicator. So that's a good point. I mean, how villainous can the Ferengi be if we can just give them all the gold they want with a replicator? Well, yeah, but they want latinum, which apparently can't be re- replicated, and it's gold pressed. <laughs> I think. Uh, although the Borg began as a race of insects, a concept dropped mm. for budget reasons, their relentless mentality survived. Guinan was not present at the time, but we learn it was the Borg who scattered and virtually killed off her people a century earlier. An event that drives the plot of the first the next gener- of the first next generation movie, Generations, and leaves perhaps her only prejudice. Oh yeah, that's right. She does have a prejudice against the Borg. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. In this episode, Guinan also engages in a defiant barb trading standoff with Q that will come back to hunt him later in Deja Q. Also, Guinan's oh. office is seen for the first time and only time in the next generation history. <laughs> Some of the outfits of the Borg came from the makers of the steel suits of Dune and Batman. Uh, the Fremen. Uh, yes, the Fremen became the Borg. <laughs> the sleeper, well awakened. So, so do you mean the still suits were re uh, reused as Borg outfits, or just inspired by them? Is what's the line again? Some of the suits came from the makers of the steel suits for Dune and. Oh, Batman. the makers of. Okay, gotcha. Okay. The show went over budget by around $50,000. So a planned day of live sh- uh, live shooting was dropped. And for a time, according to Rob Bowman, we didn't know day to day if we were going to if we were making a stinker or a winner. <laughs> I they definitely made a winner. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Uh, making his debut as a stuntman extra as the baby Borg was Sam Klotman, the son of Carl Eisner, David Livingston's secretary. Okay. Larry uh, Namasek is very much alive. Um, thank goodness, because he sounds like someone who really loves and 
cares about Trek and knows a lot about its history. He is known as the universe's renowned Star Trek authority, which is pretty cool. I concur. And on his website, Larry Namasek. Really? Uh, he has a website? I have to visit that website. LarryNamasek.com. He has a blog, Ask Dr. Trek, articles, news, all kinds of things. Uh, and his welcome message is as follows. Thanks for checking out my window on the passing Star Trek parade, past, present, and future. After all these years living and working in Trekland, you never know who will stop by or what goodies I'll pull from the files. Come back often and please sound off. So he's pretty cool. I'm going to check his website out as well. Indeed. I and think he, um, we should send him he, a message saying that, you know, we basically read from your book. <laughs> for every, every, every episode. Every single one. Yeah. I, I, his book has always been one of my favorite Star Trek reference books. And I, I've read it several times. And Because every time I watch an episode, even... Before we started doing this, um, I would consult it. And I know just you and I, I mean, you know, you and I are always asking questions and a lot of times he has the answers. And, he you know, before yeah, the internet, what, what, what did we have? We had Starlog and we had him. We had Starlog, we had the Star Trek Companion, Scotty's right? Guide to the Net, you know, to the Enterprise, all these fun resources, uh, that were put out to feed the uh, the imaginations of Trekkies everywhere. Right. So <laughs> cheers to Larry uh, and his... I uh, am having a glass of wine today, so cheers to, cheers to you. It's my little afternoon uh, delight here. All right. Um, I was... I, I, I can't say enough about the, the incredible... Um, uh, that shot... Where Riker, Data, and Worf are exploring the Borg ship, and then they they have the a mat shot, and it's just beautiful. And you see the the interior, the vastness of the interior of the Borg ship, and and that mat looks that mat shot looks great on on this uh, uh, upgraded. I don't know what they did to upgrade it or whatever. Uh, I don't know if they had to, uh, but there's it looks a cool, beautiful. There's a really cool YouTube um, presentation, which you can look it up by you know the re- typing in remastered and the name of the episode, mm-hmm. and it'll actually show you a comparison of the old, um, really? the original episode, and, and what mostly, most of the remastering is color correction and tone correction, you know, like you know maybe the original uh you know tapes had or film uh were too red or too green and so they they balanced the colors out to make them like you know more natural more, uh, natural i guess yeah um and then of course there's a few special effects upgrades and enhancements but yeah i think they use a lot of the original map paintings because i don't i don't see i didn't notice anyways if it was done it was done really well cuz it looked like you know, it looked pretty good then, and it still looked good now. It, it looked, I mean, obviously, when we first, well, you, you had a big screen TV, I remember. But I, I know I had a, you know, regular crappy, I mean, I don't even know if I had a 40-inch screen at the time. But uh, to see it now on the TV I have with the clarity is, is just phenomenal. And, and, you know, to think, you know, none of us really could appreciate very few of us could appreciate uh the 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 work the amazing work that these these special effects artists put into these shots and 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 that and i just remember just marveling at that match shot back then but to see it now and all the details and how Riker and data and warfare still moving as you back away and yeah and it was just it was fabulous and i I remember that on my earlier TV, you know, the TV I saw it originally, you know, I, I knew that, you know, there's a light there, there's a light source, but I couldn't see, what is that light? And of course, now mm-hmm. I see that it's the engine. Oh. I couldn't, I had no idea. All I saw was a a, a blurry white light, and now I That's see right. detail. That's right, now you could clearly see detail, Now I yeah. see detail, so uh, it, you know, it's the work of these people 
the work that they put into this episode continues to pay off, you know, decade after decades after they they've done it. Uh, the original stuff. I mean, it's amazing. The Borg and the Cybermen uh, play on a particularly, uh, you know, universal fear among uh, humans living in a in the age of technology, and the the fear is, you know, it, it has its nuanced versions, but basically, it's just the the machines taking over. Uh, and you know, you stated earlier that like maybe from the perspective of the of the machines themselves or the Borg, they're actually doing something good. They're you know they're assimilating uh, beings and enhancing and and enriching uh, their experience because uh, you know corporeal biological beings uh, don't have uh, all the advantages that a, a, a cybernetic um, cybernetically enhanced biological being would. Um, but why do you think wh- why, how old is this fear and you know when did it come about and what do you what are your thoughts on it like would you would you accept by a uh, mechanical enhancement like let's say would you would you be into having a device plugged into your brain that gave you instant access to all knowledge for example um, and, and allow you to connect to the to that knowledge instantaneously, or would you be reluctant to do something like that, and why? I, I would be reluctant. Um, I mean, I guess it's in my personality. I I don't need to have everything at my fingertips at every moment of the day. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll show everybody my phone. This is my phone. I don't have a smartphone because I don't need... To have a, I, I don't need to have a computer with me that's going to be bugging me, you know, with uh, texts and emails at all times of the day. I don't need to play word chums wherever I go. Uh, my computer's a desktop, and you know, when I need to use it, I sit down at the desk. And when I walk away from it, I'm not using a computer. I like my things compartmentalized. You know, display this thing goes here, that thing goes there. So I would think that uh, anything that would bring technology to me at all times, whether it be the Google glasses or, um, I don't know, bionic implants in the eyes or something, I, I think I would pass. The only, uh, I think the only exception I would make would be uh, obviously something that would prolong life naturally, like a natural, uh, like I don't want to extend my life, I just want to go... A, a, you know, natural length of life, I, I guess is what I should say. And, uh, you know, if I need a, a heart, you know, a heart pacer or something like that, that'd be fine. Uh, or if I lost an arm, God forbid, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to a cybernetic arm. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not really interested in the gift of the Cybermen. Interestingly enough, the first instance of a cybernetic perhaps cybernetic uh beings in fiction would be uh edgar according to wikipedia edgar Allan poe's story the man that was used up the narrator visits a heroic general at his home and discovers that most of his body has been destroyed in a war and replaced by a collection of prostheses so that his body must be assembled piece by piece. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Then you have the ablest man in the world in 1879. And then, of course, you have the Tin Woodsman in uh, the Oz books. Um, Machine Man. Um, and let's see. I guess the, the, the first I can remember reading about was uh, Bicentennial Man. Um, I think for me, it would... Uh if I, well, for me, it was the Cybermen. As I watch, I watched Doctor Who <laughs> as early as I watched Sesame Street. So, uh, but then there was also the Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, that's right. The great Steve Austin. <laughs> we have the technology. We can rebuild him. <laughs> uh, and the Bionic Woman, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The great Lindsay Wagner. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know people are unnerved by you know the idea. I mean, there, there's people. There's a guy who uh, I just heard on NPR a couple of weeks ago. He uh, let me see if I can remember the story. 
he doesn't he can't he 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 can't hear no he's he went blind okay and he has a device that allows him it, it's and it's permanently on him okay and uh, it allows him to hear uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, what it is that he's... Hold on. I'm, I'm remembering the story now correctly. <laughs> he's colorblind. He doesn't see color at all. And this is from birth. So he sees in black and white. So scientists figured out a way to allow him to hear colors. Oh. So, um, you know, red has a certain sound. Uh, even and 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 you know, so I saw him on TED he has talk? a TED talk. He has a TED yeah. talk. Yes. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, that's a really cool TED talk. And didn't he say that he has a he he's part of a cyborg society? Yeah. He encourages yeah, people right. to be cyborgs at the end. That's true. Well, I'm personally all for it. I welcome- I know you are. <laughs> I welcome enhancements. Uh, I just don't think that I ever would want to lose my personality. That's the hard part about it. And that's what the board kind of seem like is that there's no, there's no individual. There's only a, a collective. Um, and that, I think that's the scariest, scariest part because we do identify uh, with our individuality as humans and so to lose that would be a very i think scary idea yeah absolutely absolutely cool well um best of both worlds shall we give it our rating oh this is uh this is a nine this is a 9.5 perhaps i'll join if if you're giving it a 9.5 i'm gonna go ahead and join you with a 9.5 then excellent excellent (laughs) woohoo well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Doctor. Do you have any more uh, thoughts on the episode before we go? No. I, I mean, I feel like My badge I, I've spent uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've spent a lot of time saying this episode is great, but I haven't really articulated well why I love it so much. But um, I just love this introduction of the Borg. There's um, not a whole lot that happens. I mean, it's a, it's kind of like, you know, it's one of those episodes that is really good. Because on its own, it would have been great just just as it is. But because of everything that happens now, you know, on second, third, fourth and fifth viewings, you really appreciate the episode a lot more because it is the um, the genesis of a very interesting uh, Star Trek uh, storyline. And, you know, just when you think like you know, what can Star Trek do to kind of uh, be fresh and new? I think it makes a lot of sense. One thing that I don't think we discussed is like um, the Borg and maybe maybe in a different way than the the Cybermen because of the kind of intricacies of their um, operations um, are a response to the Internet and cyber world. And like, you know, it's around this time where the discussions started happening about uh, you know, connectivity and being connected to the whole, the whole world's connected. And look at where we are, like 20 years later, it's very hard to, the internet is something that everyone understands. Uh, everyone knows what it is. It's a, it's a network that, that is, uh, you know, spread out through, uh, through the entire world. And it basically allows us to communicate with each other in, in much in the manner of a collective. Now you, you have these entire um, digital maps of the planet now and you can learn all kinds of things that are going on because of the because of the internet. So one example of that is that, like, for example, you can you can follow trends. Um, you can use a service like Twitter to see what hashtags or keywords are being used all over the planet, and you can kind of see what the mood of the world is in a different way than you could before, where it was a lot a lot more difficult to do that kind of thing. You had to do extensive polling and research and watch news channels from other countries and things like that and so now you have a a whole new way of being connected and i think that the borg is kind of a a warning of what can happen if you uh if you go too far 
as a as a oneness you know like if individuality is in fact lost to this collective consciousness what can happen is that maybe the collective consciousness loses things like um empathy and and emotions are what keep us from doing horrific things i think as well as doing horrific things but but on the whole i think emotions are what prevent us from doing horrific things because if you look at the Borg cutting into the Enterprise nonchalantly, uh, ignoring the biological uh, beings on the ship, things like that. Those are all because they don't have any sentiment or any attachment or any emotion toward biological beings. Um, and I think that, you know, to, to the Borg, uh, Q says it in one scene, to the Borg, we're, we're like insignificant, you know? Um, and, and it, it's something I think that like, again, as we get more and more connected and into technology and into our cyber worlds, we have to remember that. Um, and we, and we start attaching our emotions to that. We have to remember that there is a real world that, you know, can't be ignored. There are people that shouldn't be ignored and that like, it's important to continue to feel, (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> wow, you, you got a lot out of this episode. Man. <laughs> I just liked it because it was a lot of action, but yes, you that, probed uh, much of the psychological <laughs> weight of the episode. So congratulations, sir. <laughs> just feel, man. Just feel it. All right. That's all I got to say. <laughs> okay. So a 9.5. 9.5. And live long and prosper. Indeed. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>